Well, good morning. Good morning. Great. It's great, great to see everybody out this morning and to have you with us. Uh, it's a beautiful summer. We've had a great week. Uh, all of our kids have been in. All of our grandkids have been in this weekend. So uh, I'm a little bit tired, you know, pulling kids in wagons and everything like that. But it's been an awesome week, and uh, we're so excited to, uh, to continue to enjoy that. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began a study on the book of First Peter. And we said that First Peter is so relevant because it's a lot like the world that we're living in today. Uh, just a strange, odd world and odd time for all of us. Uh, but we have a great God. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at the media and uh, you look, kind of look at the news, you see some of this weirdness going on. And a part of me is always kind of wondering, like, what in the world is happening with our culture today? I mean, what, is, what goes to the minds of some uh, um, businesses and organizations that make uh, foolish decisions that almost seem to alienate their clientele. I mean, we all uh, know about Bud Light, right? And we know about Target. And the most recent one seems to be the Dodgers baseball team. And if you haven't heard about this a few weeks ago, uh, they had a pride night they hosted where they honored a group that were called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, uh, which is an LBGT, uh, LGBT group who are literally involved in acts and, and ways that are blasphemous to the Christian faith. They dress up as drag nuns in a disgusting manner. They sexually dance on crosses and cru uh, crucifixes. And so the Dodgers gave them a community hero award. And if you read about that, you know that when they actually gave it to them, the stadium was nearly empty, but outside there were thousands of people who were uh, gathering and kind of rallying against the pregame ceremony. Uh, they were singing worship songs and they were praying. Uh, kind of worshiping. By the way, that night the Dodgers lost the game 15 to zero, uh, which was the worst loss in 125 years. I mean, so that surely was a sign to them. Seems to me like they kind of lost all the way around that night. But I, I, you know, I just don't understand some of the things that are done. We're just kind of scratching our heads about why businesses and organizations, why don't you just sell what you sell or do what you do and stay out of the culture wars? We don't understand that. But, you know, sometimes it seems like to us, as uh, I used to hear long ago, that the world's kind of gone to hell in a handbag. And, uh, you know, it just seemed kind of crazy and intentional. By the way, uh, I think that phrase comes from Zechariah, comes from the Bible. Zechariah chapter 5, where Zechariah had a vision of a wicked woman in a basket. I think that's where that phrase actually came from. So uh, it, it really is kind of crazy. It does a casual, in intentional way that our world seems to be spiritually declining. And in the midst of all that, I think that's a reminder to us that as believers, we have to be aware, we have to be intentional, and, and we're called to live in a very different way from the rest of the world. So in this study of 1 Peter now, we've been talking about how to live uh, in an increasingly pagan culture. As we see what's happening around us, how do we keep our heads? How do we... Uh, when it seems like the whole world's losing their minds, how do we keep our minds? So today we're in chapter 3, the second part of beginning with verse 8. And here's what Peter writes to us. He says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lip from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
So Peter's giving us some advice about how do we respond when we see this kind of craziness going on around us, when some, sometime we as just believers who quietly live and peaceful life, how do we respond when people treat us poorly? And notice the phrase that kind of jumps out, first of all, that, that comes to responding to a pagan culture is this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. This is how we ought to respond. So in a culture in that day where the principle was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, these words kind of came out and these words were kind of rational, yeah, irrational. These were a shock. They were countercultural in that day. And so the same thing is true in our world. You know, we live in a world today where uh, if someone does something to you or says something to you, then typically our first response, our first thought is to respond in a like manner. We're going to do it back to them. We're going to respond like we've been treated. But let me ask you, does it ever really end there if we do that? Uh, it's not like you did it to me, I did it to you. Okay, we're good, we're even. It doesn't end there. Typically, things are ratcheted up. That person feels like you overreacted, which you probably did, and then they ratchet up the situation, and it, it doesn't resolve things. So returning evil for evil never resolves the situation. It almost always makes things worse. And even beyond that, it also shows that we are no different from the rest of the world. That people are looking to us or at us as Christians and expecting a, 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 a better level, a better expectation, better response. But when we respond to them in a like manner, we're showing them that we're no better than they are. If we return evil for evil, it's a lose-lose. If we return uh, and act in the flesh, it's going to be at best a win-lose. But here's the thing Peter says, if we act in the spirit, it can be a win-win, which is what we ought to be looking for in our relationship. But now we also know that just because we act in the spirit, just because we do the right thing doesn't always guarantee that it's going to turn out well. Because in our world today, civility is kind of dead. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. And oftentimes whenever we're doing good, even with best intentions, our intentions are misunderstood. But Peter here says, let me tell you how we can not only uh, diffuse these difficult situations when someone attacks us, but also how we can share a testimony about who we are and who we live for. And even beyond that, maybe even convince them to follow Jesus as well. Because our job is not to respond to the culture as it treats us, but instead to show them how Jesus would respond. And so he gives, there's a list here of several reactions that begin with a humble heart and a humble attitude. So that's where we have to start. And throughout this letter already, we've talked about several different topics about marriage and about responding to our spouse. Maybe things aren't always best. Last week, uh, beyond that, we talked about suffering for doing good. We're going to continue that vein and thought through us the rest of the book. But right now, Peter says you have to have a humble heart, a humble attitude, and have the mind of Christ. And, and a couple things he says. First of all, have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. And wouldn't it be great if we all agreed on everything? It would be awesome if you all thought like I do. But that isn't always true, right? I could be wrong. We'll talk about that in a moment, right? But we don't agree on everything. We really don't. But here's the thing. We can have a relationship with people without agreeing on everything. We can have a relationship with them uh, even though we may disagree on some things. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Our country is currently split about 50-50 on a lot of different things. If you read the, the news, you'll, you'll in polls, you're about 50-50, and, uh, and both sides are adamant about what they believe. So if we were to ban compliant and agreement on everything, we would already cut out about 50% of the people in our lives, you know? So that 50%, if we said we only can be friends if we agree on everything. 
Now, there obviously are some issues that we need to hold the line on. Uh, we need to be what some have called closed-handed on these things. And these are issues, I believe, primarily that deal with the person of Jesus Christ and who they are and the values and the truth of his word. So we're kind of closed-handed on those things. But there are some issues that we can be open-handed about that we can say, okay, uh, I'm going to lay this out there. You probably or may not agree with me on this, but that's all right. We can still be friends. We can still work together. We can still be unified because the reality is that none of us, we're never going to find two people who agree totally on everything. So we need to have a unity of mind and openness to say, unless it has to do with salvation and Jesus Christ, let's kind of have an open mind and open thought about that. The second thing he says we need to have for people is sympathy. Sympathy says, I really want to understand you so I can help you. Uh, the first cousin of sympathy is empathy. And that's where it says, I'm going to go as far as to put myself in your shoes. I'm going to try to understand exactly how you're thinking so I can best help you and we can have a relationship. You know, I think today in the world, there are a lot of hurting people. There are a lot of people that are, are struggling and they're hurting for one reason or another. And uh, maybe you heard someone say in the past, but hurting people hurt people. When you're hurting, you are likely to hurt people back. And we got to understand that. we got to just realize that our culture is hurting. People are hurting. They're going to strike out. We need to have sympathy, empathy for them. And if we take the time to, to listen to them and get to know them and, and, and understand them, it, it makes a huge difference. And in some cases, we may even uh, find out that we have more in common than we thought. And we actually can reach out and build a relationship. I know of people that I thought that we would never agree and have, you know, a conversation about a positive conversation about anything. And yet, when you take the time to listen and, and, and hear them, you, you understand that, wow, we do have much more in common than we thought. And we also need to stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win the person especially as believers. It's more important to win the person to Jesus than it is to win an argument with that. So we have that assembly. Thirdly, Peter says we need to have brotherly love. And this is kind of caring for people that are unlike you in a way that you might care for your family or maybe even better. Sometimes we don't treat our family that great. So we need to treat our family well, but treat other people as well and show brotherly love. You know, in a family, you may have conflict, but you have a deeper commitment than just the conflict. And so you go beyond that and you build a relationship. You forgive and then you try to move on a relationship. Notice Peter doesn't say that you're to have brotherly like, brotherly like, like you like everybody because the reality is there are people we don't like, we don't care for. And if we're looking for that brotherly like only, that's going to be dependent upon you or them. And we are different, and so there are going to be some issues and perhaps how they treat you. But if you love them, it doesn't depend on either one of you. It depends upon God. So instead of just liking that person, you, you love them with the love of God. And, uh, and you can love, like someone intermittently, which we normally do. That's what families like a lot. We like them sometimes, sometimes we don't. But we can love them all the time. Love them all the time. And that's what Peter's saying, brotherly love and love like God loves us. It's great to like people and love people, but if you have to choose one, love them. Love them beyond the like part, all right? Fourthly, he says, have a tender heart. You know, the Bible says that everything comes from the heart. Every, every word, every emotion springs from the heart. And the Bible tells us that we should have a soft heart, but we should also guard our heart. Guard our heart against bitterness, against hatred, against uh, conflict. Guard the heart that, that every one of us have. And the opposite of a tender heart is, is a hard heart. 
And when someone has a hard heart, there's not much you can do about it to change it. You can love them, you can pray for them, but only God can melt a heart of stone. And I've seen God do that in people that I couldn't imagine that their hearts might change. God can change their heart. God can give them a new heart, a tender heart. And, and, and he's the example, right? Because he has a tender heart toward us. He is open and receptive to us. And God wants us to have the same heart toward other people. And then he goes on and says, have a, a humble mind. A humble mind that says, you know, I could be wrong. It's possible that I've been wrong. Uh, some people can't say those words, but, but we really ought to learn how to listen and consider and learn and, and change our thinking if necessary. Let me hurry to say this, that this, is, this has to be based on the truth of God's word, that we don't shift with the wind of, of, of the world that happens all the time in culture. But there may be some little things that, aren't, that we believe that aren't really in the Bible one way or the other that we may need to think about and listen to someone. You know, we live in such a polarized world today that it's really refreshing when that somebody can say, well, let's talk about that. I never thought about it your way. Let me, let me hear your viewpoint and concede that perhaps I might be wrong. And then, and then he says, endure evil deeds and reviling words. You know, this world today is getting um, going to be more difficult as we live in it, uh, but especially if you're a believer. If you're a believer more and more, and this is kind of what Peter's been talking about as he was writing to the church, the early church, their world was getting more difficult to be a Christian in. And I think all of us acknowledge that it's, it's challenging today to be a believer. And, and oftentimes our beliefs are attacked, but when you're attacked, don't respond in the same way. That's what he's trying to say. Endure evil deeds and reviling words. And the example we have is Jesus. When Jesus was mocked and accused, he didn't attack them back. In fact, in many cases, he didn't even defend himself. He didn't say anything. His silence sometimes is what they received. And you know, sometimes when we are attacked as believers, we feel like we have to respond and our words often hurt them deeply and push them away from Jesus. So Peter said, don't do that because words have meaning and when we say them, we can't, we can't take the, the words back. And then the last thing in this list, he says, do good and bless others. Bless other people, bless the people who do evil to you. To bless them doesn't mean that you agree with them and you concede that what they're doing is right. To bless them means that you do what's best for them, that you show kindness to them who are opposing and attacking you, that you speak well of them, that you are positive about them, you do something kind to them, or perhaps you don't do what you could do to them. You bless them and you love them like Jesus did. You know, if you were to look at this list, you will see that all these things that Peter mentions here are things that show us the life of Jesus. And I got a feeling that the Apostle Peter, when he's writing these words, he's thinking back to the character of Jesus and the life, what he had observed when he was with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He's thinking about the character of Jesus and how God wants a person to live life. And Peter says that, in fact, we're called to live this way and we're called to bless people so that we can receive a blessing. Notice that we are to bless others so we can be blessed. And in fact, he quotes a scripture here from Psalm chapter, one, uh, chapter 34, where the psalmist in, in this section, the psalmist talks about how God blesses those who obey him. So what is the, one of the benefits from treating people in this way, it's not just that we're obedient, but also there are some promises that God are going to give us if we live in this way and we treat people in this way. The first one is that you're going to love life. You're going to love life. You ever seen anybody that you know love life and compare them with someone who doesn't look like they're loving life, you know? 
there is a difference in how people live. And, and, and Peter says, if you, and the psalmist as well, if you want to love life, then you have to live life in this way. See, loving life is not dependent upon how you're being treated, upon how everything is going your way or anything else, but rather living in obedience and in harmony with God's plan for your life. If you live in that way, you can truly love life. And it's not dependent on how people, on other people, because we can't change other people. We can't change the way they are or how they treat us or anything else, but we can change ourselves. We can choose to bless others and love life. The second thing promise we get is that we're going to have good days, that we're going to see good days. If you're in the will of God, you're going to have hope for life. Your perspective on life is going to be totally different. You're going to look in a positive manner. You're going to look for the best. The glass is going to be half full, not half empty. You're going to see great days in front of you. And, you know, there's so much in our world to be pessimistic about. I mean, we have the economy out there. We have politics out there. Uh, sometimes life itself, just living life. But God gives us hope in the midst of all that. So we need to look forward and have good days. And then he says we can enjoy peace. Our world suffers from anxiety and worry and, and isolation and fear and everything else. And many people just are desperate for peace, a permanent lack of peace. But Peter says you can enjoy perfect peace in Christ. And then he also says that not only that, God's going to hear and answer your prayers. There's amazing promises that we have that, that, that from God in the area of prayer and we know that God knows everything that's going on in our earth all the time, that God hears the prayers of unbelievers. You say, well, why would an unbeliever pray? Um, because everyone gets desperate at times. Even people, you know, who don't believe in God, they're, they're going to throw up prayers when they're in trouble. And God hears that, but God's not obligated for those prayers. He will act as he pleases. Maybe he answers them. But if you're a child of God, there is a promise that God's given you multiple times that he will hear and answer your prayers. You needn't worry. God is already on it. And we trust him. And if you're living in his will, that God has a special care for you. Notice what it says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you want to be favored by God and you want to be heard by God and, and know the face of God is with you and the ears of God are listening to your prayers, then you live in this way. Now, keep in mind that Peter's writing here to Christians who are suffering for their faith, who are going through difficult times. And as our world and our culture changes, I think it could get more, much more difficult for us. And here's what he says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." Now, Peter's already challenged us here to live good, upright lives full of peace and love. And he says, if we live this way, then most likely uh, you're going to be seen in a positive light by the world. And, and they may not oppose you. You know, they they're not, may not attack you. But, but sometimes we know we are attacked for doing good. Sometimes the light in our life reveals the darkness in the lives of others so much so that they just, you know, attack us and come against us. And that's realistic, and the Bible's honest about that. 
So Peter says, you know what? You really got to decide who you're going to obey and who you're going to listen to. Who do you want to fear? Do you want to fear God or do you want to fear people? Jesus told us not to be afraid whenever we're brought before officials and whenever we're called out on our message that he would be with us in that. And that was a great promise. And so in the book of Acts, uh, we see that there were many who were brought before officials and courts, and they just boldly stood up and, and proclaimed what they believed. And they knew that they were being led by the Spirit of God. The reality is we're either going to get in trouble with people or with God because you can't please both. That's just the, the bottom line. So we don't need to fear what people are going to say. We don't need to fear cancel culture. We don't need to fear social shaming or the pressures of the world. Instead, the Bible says we need to fear and revere Christ and set him apart as holy in our hearts. You know, so many times in the Bible, we're warned against the danger of apostasy. Apostasy means falling away from the truth because sometimes people fear man more than they fear God. Or maybe they love the world more than they love God. And the battle is real. It's going to wet rage in our life. If you are a young believer, understand that the battle is going to is real and it's probably going to get worse in your life. In fact, when you give your life to Christ, you put yourself up as a target for Satan because he's beginning to lose control over your life. So be real, be realistic to know that the battle is going to be there. But there's some things to remember here and some things we can learn. And Peter says, listen, listen to this, young believers. Listen to this uh, struggling if you're challenged uh, in your faith right now. Remember this, and maybe it will give you some hope. First thing he mentions is that your worst misery will probably be your best ministry. You know, the Apostle Paul, think about his life, said that Christ's strength was made perfect in our weaknesses. You know, Paul understood that because he was an opposer. He was against Christ, and, and that, that made him miserable to see it. And God turned it around and made his uh, platform or have made his testimony strongest because of where he had been. And, you know, we see that as well in our Celebrate Recovery. I was thinking about that the other day, that God may take what we struggle with and make it our ministry. And uh, so in our Celebrate Recovery, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes 40, 50 uh, people back uh, on one Thursday nights that come in, uh, celebrate recovery or for those who are uh, struggling with habits and, uh, and, and addictions and struggles, the struggles in their life. But God oftentimes take that biggest struggle that we have and turns it around for his ministry and uses that in a powerful way. And so your, your biggest misery, your biggest struggle in life may be what God actually uses to impact the lives of other people. The second thing we notice is that your Christian convictions will be tested in life, life's battles. That what you believe will be tested. And sometimes what you believe the most will be questioned by the world. When you hear the world's view and you hear the defenses of sin, you may even begin to second guess yourself. And you may want to do a reality check and, and because it sounds logical and reasonable, but you need to check it with the truth, the word, word of God. And it's going to be so much easier to go along with the world, but you have to hold to your convictions and what you believe. So understand that your Christian convictions will be tested in this world. Also remember that whenever you're struggling and you're being attacked or you're uh, in conflict with people in relationships, and that is that relationships are more important than the issue. If you wanna try and correct someone, uh, before you do that, build a relationship with them. So they know it's for their good and not for your ego, not you're just trying to win. We talked earlier about not trying to win arguments, but to win people. And the only way you can win people is to have a relationship with them. 
Here's another suggestion. Live your faith out and then explain it. So you need to have both the example of your life and the word that you share and communicate. Uh, neither, a one, neither one of them alone is enough. You can't just have an example of your life and be silent, and you can't just talk about it and, and, and not live it out. Explaining your faith without living it out is hypocrisy. Living your faith out without explaining it is probably not going to be understood. So whenever we are brought before people or whenever we need, are called to explain or defend our faith, we need to have a relationship with them and connection, but we also need to be honest. And the Bible says that be able to share what you have in a way that's gentle and respectful so that people can understand and listen to you. And then the last thing I think is important is let the message be offensive, not the messenger. Let the message be offensive. You know, the gospel is offensive. When you tell people we all sin and we all need Jesus, that's offensive. Telling somebody they're wrong is a hard thing to take. But we don't have to be offensive in the way that we do it. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we've lost sight of that. I've known people who, who were on the, in the battle to tell you how bad you were, but they never showed any personal weaknesses. They never acknowledged that they were struggling too. So if you're going to share Jesus, let the message be the one that offends, not you. Do it gentle, gentle and respectful, uh, even as we condemn sin. And then Paul closes, or excuse me, Peter, Peter closes this chapter out by reminding us that Jesus suffered too, that Jesus suffered for us, that he had a lot of opposition. And he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So it changes gears a little bit here in this last verses of, of this chapter, but he talks about Jesus. And he talks about the importance of us identifying with Christ because it took Jesus suffering and being crucified in order for us to come to God. We could not come on our own. Only Jesus could do that and make the way. That he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. And the, the reference here to Noah is kind of interesting. Most of us know the, the story of Noah. Uh, during Noah's day, the world was so wicked that God called Noah a man who found favor in God's sight, called him to build an ark in order to preserve creation, to take the animals, two of each kind, while the earth was being flooded and while the wickedness was being destroyed. And if you know the story, you know that Noah not only built an ark, but he also preached for 120 years. You know, that would be kind of discouraging, to be honest with you, because no one outside of his family responded. And during that time, you can imagine he was ridiculed and mocked and called crazy and suffered probably even persecution. You know, there were a lot of people who just rejected his message and, uh, and the call to repentance. And, and maybe you might well sounded logical in that day because they'd never seen a flood. They'd never even seen rain before. But when he says it's going to rain and flood, you know, and destroy the earth, they were skeptical of it. But Peter says that the spirit of Jesus preached through, Gnosis, uh, through, through Noah to the unbelieving people of his day who were imprisoned by their sin and then didn't see the big picture. And then we also know that as a result, only Noah, his wife, sons, and their wives, all in total, eight people in all, 
Only those people were saved. And what he's saying here is they were saved through the water or by the water as the ark lifted them and the animals above the destruction. That people were destroyed by the water and the floods, but the water saved Noah and his family and the animals. And he says this water symbolizes baptism that also saves us as well. Hear that, that baptism is a big part of our relationship with God. Baptism saves us not by the washing away of dirt from the body. I hope you did that at home in the shower, you know, that's where we do it. But, but baptism saves us, it says, by giving us a clear conscience toward God. That baptism is an act of obedience which is commanded to every person who comes to Christ. Everyone who wants a relationship with Christ is commanded to do so. It's not optional. And Jesus modeled baptism even though he didn't have any sin of his own. And he commanded us to be baptized. So it's not the water itself that saves us. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our connection with him and with Christ in our baptism. In baptism, we experience symbolically what Jesus experienced literally that we come to die to ourselves, we're buried with Christ under the water, and then we're raised to live a new life. So our faith, our submission, and obedience saves us by the grace of God, but baptism is a symbol of that. And what Peter's saying is that Noah suffered, but he was faithful, and he led his family to safety, and he rescued creation because of his obedience, and the water saved them. Jesus suffered, but he was faithful, and led all mankind to salvation. And the point is, we may suffer today, but we need to make sure that we're faithful in that, faithful in our suffering, and then we follow Jesus. And we do that by committing our life to Christ, by willingly giving up control of our lives to Jesus, and by entering a relationship with him through baptism. Peter says here that baptism is a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. And what he's saying is that one day we're going to stand before the God of the universe and we're going to be judged. Every one of us are. Regardless of what we think of God now, every one of us are going to stand before God and acknowledge him. And the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we're going to stand and we're going to be judged. And the questions are going to be, did we make a decision to give our lives to him while we were on the earth? Did we ask him to forgive our sins and take them away? Did we do what he asked us to do? Do we have a clear conscience before God, having been obedient to everything that he asked us to do? Now, let me just say this. I've thought a lot about this because this phrase, this clear conscience, it resonates with me. You know, I have a pretty uh, sensitive conscience. That's kind of how God designed me. I can feel guilty really quick about certain things, which is good, I think. But when I stand before God, I want to make sure I'm going to acknowledge that I sin um, daily, but I want to make sure that the things that God has specifically told me I need to do for my relationship with him, that I have been obedient in those things. I do not want to leave something hanging. Did I do that? Should I have done that? I want to know for sure that I have. And so that's a part of our responding to Jesus and it's a part of our being baptized as well. And it's pretty cool because this morning, uh, we didn't necessarily plan the message around this, but we have some baptisms that we're going to get a chance to participate in by sharing and watching. And that's always exciting. And we're going to see lives that, are, that come dying to self, buried with Christ, and raised again. And we'll celebrate in that, that this morning. And let me just say this, that if you have not been obedient in that, in making a commitment to Christ and being baptized, we would love to do that. And we can do that today. We can. 
because that's how the Bible says that we respond that day, that same hour. And we're going to be around back. If you feel like God's compelling you to make that decision and be baptized, we would just invite you to come out and to come around the back in the hallway and meet us there. And, and we would talk about baptism and you could be baptized today. That's how important it is and how significant. Or if you want to have a conversation, I would be glad to do that as well. So let's pray together. Father, thank you today, for today. God, thank you for your word. You know, in this study, we've covered a lot of ground today because uh, Peter just says, you know, life is tough. And for believers, we're going to suffer. We're going to have hard times. And But Father, we can, just as Jesus overcame the attacks of people and mockery and ridicule and, and remain faithful, God, that we can as well with, with his strength and your power. So Lord, I thank you this morning that we have a chance to, as believers, re refresh and renew our commitment to you and, and discover how to live faithfully in a world that's challenging. And Father, also as maybe some this morning who have never given their lives to Christ, that Lord, that everyone would see the most important decision of all is, is just that. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning who haven't done so, that Lord, today would be the day that they would surrender to you. God, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to us, how relevant it is to our world today. And God, we ask that you would help us to come under your word and obedient to it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship him as a response.